Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello on a beautiful Wednesday and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California and 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas. I'm joined as always by Armani Buckets and Brandon Deutsch. G. Hey hey Wiley cannot be with us today. She is not feeling well. Uh, So um, we are thinking about you, uh, G. Hey, crazy night in the NBA last night, guys, right? Yeah, crazy night. But the LA Kings, I mean, I think we're all on the bandwagon oh, now. Oh, 100%. I, I wasn't before, but I definitely am now. This is a, <laughs> a great time to be a bandwagon LA Kings fan. I love it. I 100%. Love it. The resilience of this team, man. And they'll have a chance to win in Los Angeles. That's right. All right. With all that said, let's get to today's headlines. All right, speaking of the Kings, that overtime goal moved the Kings within a victory of advancing in the playoffs. Kempe scored in the last minute and 12 seconds in o- into overtime to give the Kings a 5-4 win over the Edmonton Oilers on Tuesday night for a 3-2 lead in their first round playoff series. Game 6 is Thursday at Staples in LA. Will the Kings win their first playoff series since they won the Stanley Cup in 2014? I'm starting to have 2014 vibes with this team. So if you remember back in 2012 when they won their first cup, they dominated everyone. Like they won the first three games, swept St. Louis. I mean, they were dominant. 2014, they flipped the script. 2014, they came back from 3-0 down to San Jose. They came back from 2-1 down, 3-1 down. They came back There was nobody following the third game of this series. Again, they win game one of the series, get blown out 6-0 in game two, get smoked in game three. And again, you don't keep the goals. Once the game is over, the game is over. This team has done such a good job of putting that in their rear view, going into Edmonton, big win, and now they can wrap it up game six. I'm starting to have these vibes, and that is where guys like Quick come into play, and Dustin Brown, and Andre Kopitar. I mean, having that experience of being on that team, listen, I am a homer, we're on the bandwagon, we're Kings fans, we'll have the mayor, John Hoven, on in the second segment, but guys, I am huge on the Kings right now. This was a team that we were discussing a month before the playoffs. They were barely trying to get in there, but yeah. momentum, momentum, huge. momentum. They had the momentum going in. They got hot late in the season, and then now they carried over into the playoffs. I was really worried after game three. Uh, totally. Two to one. Like eight to, When you lose that badly, first of all, when you give up that many goals in the postseason, I mean, the only way you, that you can have success in the postseason is to win with your goaltender. Quick has to play well. So when you're giving up six goals, seven goals, and eight goals, it's just way too much. Yeah, the resilience of this team, like I mentioned before, it's become the identity. Who knows if they can win in the second round, even if they get through this series, but this is a successful season nonetheless if they get this game six or game seven win. You know, the the, the thing about this, this was the first season where they wanted to contend. For the past three years, they've been putting together a good young team. 
but this is a team that can actually win now. How do you feel if they lose game six at home? I don't want to put yeah, any no, bad vibes there, there. There was no expectation for me with this particular team. So listen, if they lose game six and they lose this series in game seven, I think this is the foundation of a team that can come back a year from now and perhaps contend. I mean, people have to remember that 2012 team that won the cup, that was built off the foundation of two losses in the first round. They, they went up to Vancouver, lost in the first round, then they went to San, San Jose, lost in the first round. That the experience of 2010 2011 helped them win the cup in 2012. Yeah, I agree. 22 year old rookie Reed Detmers threw the first non combined no hitter this season, and the Angels won 12 to nothing last night against Tampa Bay. Mike Trout hit two more home runs, and Anthony Rendon had his first ever left handed at bat and hit a home run. There is a certain energy about this team that everyone loves. Can they keep the momentum going all year long? I think so. And this is a team, when you talk about hopping on the bandwagon, I'm a Dodgers fan. This team is fun to watch. This team, if, if again, you got two blowouts happening, and we'll touch on that in the NBA, you're going to flip it on this team, and they're a fun team to watch. They got a fun manager. And tell us about this team, Brandon. They yeah, are a fun yeah. group. You know, I'm always a bit pessimistic about the Angels, considering we haven't made the playoffs in, in what, seven, eight years now since 2014? Maybe even, yeah, eight years. Wow, that's a long time, right? We might finally get Mike Trout, Shohei Otani in the playoffs. They're starting to hit well. Rendon with the left-handed homer. Reed Detmers, 22 years old, throws a no-hitter. And this is against the Rays. This isn't against, like, the Athletics or the Pirates. Like, the Rays are a playoff team. Um, hopefully, they can keep this going all season long. There's a certain energy about this team, like we said in the headlines. I don't think they should make any trades at the deadline. I know their pitching has been a question, but it's doing well. And when you have this kind of camaraderie, together and Trout going back to his MVP type years. If he stays healthy, he probably gets the MVP. Taylor Ward didn't even play the last two games. He's been their best hitter this season so far. Rendon starting to get hot. Otani starting to get hot. Cindergaard a comeback year, maybe comeback player of the year if he yeah. continues to be healthy. The bullpen is elite when it goes to the final three guys, Tapera, Loop, and Iglesias. I like this team. It's funny how the two New York teams and the two Los Angeles right. teams are the four best teams in the MLB so far this season. I hope it stays that way. That's that's great. That's like the Lakers, Knicks, uh, Clippers, and, and Nets being the best teams in the NBA. This would be fantastic for the sport of baseball, especially to see two of the greatest players in the game uh, in the playoffs. And I, I don't think it's just the playoffs. If they continue this momentum... I'm starting to think this could be a sleeper for the World Series, and I know I'm a bit pessimistic, but hopefully they can make it happen. Yeah, I do think that there is a certain energy about this, and we talked about it again, I think it was yesterday, and literally the, the, the same day they throw a no-hitter. Mike Trout, the level that he's reaching again, it seems like, you know, for the first time, He's ultra motivated, not to say he wasn't motivated before, but now that you got him on a good team, it's well, like now he can show up every night at the ballpark and do Mike Trout things. Two home runs last night, a home run the day before, yeah. Shohei Otani, like you guys mentioned. I mean, this team, there is an energy about him, and Anaheim actually might be a playoff destination now that you got to be scared of to go into Anaheim and, and play baseball games there in October. Exactly, and it's just fun to have two of the best players be like on a team that has a chance to win. I mean, that, that was always the frustrating thing, I, I thought. You had Mike Trout, you had Shoshoe Otani. Great for the sport of baseball. No meaningful games come October. 
Jeannie Buss, speaking of <laughs> no meaningful topic. games in the playoffs, <laughs> is not happy that the Lakers are not in the playoffs. And the team's owner said that she has gotten input from, get this, Phil Jackson, <laughs> Magic Johnson, Lebr- and LeBron James as to how they can get back to the playoffs. What were your thoughts on Jeannie's comments yesterday about the future of the Lakers and who she's getting the advice from? So, Armand, I know you have a, I mean, not even a hot take because I think we were both on the same page here. The fact that Magic Johnson is a part of this is crazy to me because I was there the day that he abruptly resigned and it was one of the more surreal moments in my career just to all of a sudden, not only the fact that he resigned with a couple of games left in the season, but the fact that nobody knew. Jeannie didn't know, the players didn't know me, he just held an impromptu press conference in a hallway and resigned. And then I think it was the next day he goes on first take and lights a torch into the entire team. Uh, Rob Palenka, Jeannie. I mean, so the fact that she's going back to him. Listen, Magic will always have a big role in the franchise and the history and things like that. The fact that he has a lot of say-so right now makes no sense. And again, we've talked about Phil Jackson in terms of one of the, if not the greatest coach, coach, bold coach, not GM. <laughs> Look at the guys that he hired with the Knicks. So, Armand, I, I don't know what's happening right now. The way that, listen, Magic Johnson will always be a Laker legend, yeah. obviously. The way that he left the organization as a general manager, as a part of the front office, should have been considered a slap in the face. And to me, that was like... All right, you can stay over there. We can be cordial, but you cannot be a decision maker any longer. To allow him back in after at that moment in time when he left, a lot of people thought he was incompetent in that role. Now you're asking him for more advice. And then on top of that, you're getting advice from Phil Jackson, who in his last stop in New York, he was a disaster. Go over who he hired as the head coach of that team. First was... Derek Fisher, Derek Fisher was right. first, yeah. and then Derek Fisher gets fired by Phil, and then they promote Kurt Rambis, yeah. who, by the way, is still with the Lakers That's making right. decisions, and then it's Jeff Hornacek. That's three swings and misses. For a team in Los Angeles right now who's looking for a head coach, if you're 0 for 3, I don't like the chances that you're going to know what you're who you're picking. I don't yeah. like the chances of that. Yeah. I'm really scared they're going in the wrong direction. I mean, look, listen. Rob Palinka, I wish him the best. I hope he does a fantastic job this offseason. It's really the offseason of Rob Palinka. See what he can do. Um, Jeannie seems to have trust in him. Um, the Lakers fan base does not. Uh, we'll see what happens. But look, I don't want to say anything bad about the Lakers. It's the organization I grew up loving. But this is a mess right now. Phil Jackson is not the guy to trust in this situation. Kurt and Linda Rambis, just look up what Stevens at A said about them. I'm not even going to go into that. <laughs> if Hey, and if Rob Palenka needs any help, I got the mock GM article coming out about the Lakers using all the advanced When is that metrics. coming out? That comes out on uh, Friday of this week. All right, well, then we have to, you know, let's really devote some time into yeah. that. And how many pages will that be? Oh, man. I think I'm going to come out in a couple of parts because okay. right now it's about like 40 pages. <laughs> Every single step Rob Palenka should do based on it. salary cap, yeah. advanced statistics. And I'll just say one thing on this. Rob Palenka should know that defense is the number one priority of this team. Yeah. We talked about this yesterday. LeBron James is older. Anthony Davis plays at a slower pace. Russell Westbrook was the worst uh, compliment to that because he plays at such a high pace, right? They're getting younger. They need defense. The only way they compete next year is if they have a top three defense or top five defense in the NBA. So they need to prioritize. And wings are going quick. 
No. I said that in the article. Wings are going quick. I know Robert Covington signed that extension with the Clippers. We'll see what happens. We can talk more about that on Friday when yeah. it comes out. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of the NBA playoffs, Devin Booker scored 28 points, DeAndre Ayton added 20, and the Phoenix Suns pulled away for a lopsided 110-80 win over the Dallas Mavericks, and they're up 3-2 now in the series. The Suns bounced back after dropping the previous two games in Dallas and can now win the series in Game 6. The home team has won the first five games of the series. Does the road team finally win in Game 6? I don't think so. I do think the Mavericks bounce back. They win Game 6. The Suns close it out in Game 7. No, but listen, if you're the Suns, you always want to close it out. You don't want... I mean, Game 7, crazy things happen, and I covered the Clippers back when crazy things happen in Game 7 or crazy things happen in the postseason. So... Uh, listen, if you are the Suns, you obviously want to close it out in Game 6. I can't imagine the Mavericks. I mean, what a terrible, two terrible games last night. Um, do you like the Mavericks to win Game 6, the Suns to win Game 7? But what the heck happened last night, guys? The third quarter, and yeah. again, the Mavericks were in the game. Game 2 is the same way. The fourth quarter, the Mavericks were in the game in Game 2, and then boom. Next thing you know, Suns are up 30. Yeah. And that's what the Phoenix Suns can do, especially on their home court. The thing that's exciting me the most about this series is the back and forth between Luka and Devin Booker. Yeah, Devin yeah. Booker falls on a foul, and then you hear him say, oh, that's the Luka special, meaning he's milking the, the call <laughs> when he was on the ground, and the cameras caught it. That's and then awesome. after the game, you had Luka in the, in the tunnel saying, it's yeah. easy to talk smack when you're up caught on camera again and then there was another interaction where Luca and Booker Luca was trying to get the ball from or Booker was trying to get the ball from Luca and they started saying some obscenities towards each other so to see two superstars two MVP candidates with that much animosity building towards each other I don't know who's gonna win game six to answer your question but this isn't this isn't a good thing for Devin Booker to do I don't understand why he when you're up in the series you want Luca to have an all-time game in game six six because that's what's going to happen now. Yeah. Booker wanted all the smoke right there. Um, look, I, time to face the music. I was wrong. I said Dallas would win yesterday. Obviously, that didn't happen. Sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. They still have a top seven defense in the NBA, and they've, they've played well, uh, especially at their home games defensively. They need to have the guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie all play defense and all hit timely shots. Maxi Kleber, all these guys need to step up in game six. I think they're going to get that game six win. Um, although at this point, momentum shifts so much in the series. You just never know. Spencer Dinwiddie, speaking of him, 16 minutes last night, zero points. He was yeah. such a huge part of them winning in round one. And now... All of a sudden, production goes, goes south. So they really need Brunson and Dinwiddie to step yeah. up. I think they will. I think Game 7, if if assuming Dallas... Well, we can't assume anything, but let's say Dallas wins Game 6. That's going to be a heck of a Game 7. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. going to be really exciting. Speaking of Game 5 blowouts, Jimmy Butler <laughs> scored 23 points. Max Struess added 19 points and 10 rebounds. And the Heat moved one win away from a trip to the Eastern Conference Finals with their blowout win over the Sixers, 120-85. to The 35-point margin of victory matched the biggest so far in this year's playoffs and matched the second largest in Heat postseason history. Do you think this series is over? I think so. Listen, we we touched on this yesterday. The Heat are the better team. I like that the Sixers bounce back with Joel, but um, 
Yeah, two really bad losses. And I'm not saying that you can't have a bad loss and bounce back. We just talked about the Kings having two blowout losses in games two and three, and now they're in a position to win that series. But a bad loss for the Sixers. I think this is another one that goes to, to game seven. I think the uh, Sixers uh, win game six, and then we have a game seven situation. But yeah, just a tough, tough loss. I'm curious though, if you guys think, um, you know, we do, we do want to touch on this game. If both of these series go to game seven, is there a chance that the road team can steal this? And because again, crazy things can happen. I think that both of the, the Mavericks and the Sixers have to take that momentum back yeah. in game six, because even if they win, the way that they've played on the road inspires no confidence in me. Yeah. If they can actually, if Luka can have a 45 point really show that he's the most dominant player in the series, or Embiid. Embiid, by the way, what a freaking warrior he is because when he got hit in the face right there, yeah. I can only imagine how painful it must have been. You could tell that he was very timid attacking the basket and going for rebounds and protecting the paint. The Heat outscored the Sixers by 20 points in points in the paint alone. And I think a big part of that is because anytime somebody gets near Embiid, he's kind of like, do I want to contest this shot and maybe get hit again in the face? Yeah. I can't imagine what that feels yeah. like because I've never broken my orbital bone. But that is really the biggest story of this series. If Embiid plays like the best player on the floor, the Sixers have a realistic chance, but so far it's been Jimmy Butler. He's been the yeah, best player in the series. Yeah, I mean, I think even if Embiid plays well in Game Six and wins, I, Heat are going to win. Uh, Heat at home is just—it's yeah. just ridiculous. We all said it yesterday that the Heat would wipe the floor with the 76ers in Game Five. Game Six, I mean, I, look, Jihei has said it before. We don't trust Doc Rivers. <laughs> I don't know—is James Harden going to come back? As you know, you mentioned Armand yesterday that he's going to get in his ego, and that's exactly what happened. You know, he didn't have a great game. Uh, granted, he didn't have many shots. I trust the Mavericks more in, in a Game 7 than the 76ers in this series just because of of uh, the way that team is built uh, defensively. The 76ers, like I mentioned, they are not a good defensive team. Even if Embiid's out there, they've had maybe three good off defensive games this postseason. In the regular season, they ranked 13th in defensive rating. They don't shoot the ball extremely well. Who can shoot threes unless Danny Green is going off and Maxi is going off? This is a team built to fail based on superstardom. They're going to need James Harden to go off. Maybe they win game six. That's their best bet. But the Heat are going to win this series in seven. Suns are looking like they're going to win this series in seven yeah. too. But if Luka has that all-time game that we've been discussing, that could change. Dallas could win in seven. Can I ask a quick yeah. question? So with Embiid's injury, is Doc still going to get fired if they lose this series? This is a fascinating story because obviously something's happening there. I mean, I mean, he's not in good position there. I mean, it really comes down to like, what do the players think as well? Is Daryl, you know, does he like Doc? I mean, I, I don't know, but the politics really play a huge role. Yeah. And and I, I think he's in a tough spot for sure. Might still end up in L.A. If, we'll if he's the Lakers coach, yeah, right. we're all going to go ballistic. <laughs> that is the last guy. We would That's rather right. have Luke Walton come back and oh coach the God. team than Doc Rivers come and coach this team. Sorry, Doc. <laughs> we have two big Game 5s tonight. Hopefully they're better than the games we yeah, saw right. last night. The Milwaukee Bucks take on the Celtics, and the Warriors face the Grizzlies. Who do you guys like tonight? Listen, I like the Celtics. I like the Warriors to close out that series. Tough, tough loss for uh, Ja Morant. I mean, again, I think we touched on it. It, it. it looks like a little bit of like the Kawhi thing where, I mean, 
he's going to be out for a while, no matter what happens, if they advance, which they won't, like he's going to be out. So a tough loss for Memphis. I think if Ja was healthy, that series would have at least gone seven. I think the Warriors close it out tonight. And I do like the Boston Celtics tonight. I'm with you on the Warriors. I honestly, again, have no idea what to expect. Celtics and Bucks. It's been so close. I'm going to go with Giannis because I I do think he has a kind of heroic performance in him. Giannis is hearing all this talk about if I add a championship, I'm in the greatest player of all time conversation. I think he's extremely motivated. That Boston team is so good, though. It's really hard to pick against them, especially at home. I'm going to go Bucks and Golden State. Horford's yeah. not going to play like he that's did last true, game, right? but Robert Williams could be back, right? I mean, that's that's something that's important to note. This is a series that goes back and forth. Some days we're thinking the Bucks are the best team in the Eastern Conference. Other days we're thinking the Celtics are the best team in the Eastern Conference. Defensively, the Bucks have been better this playoffs. Uh, I know during the regular season, Celtics were better. We'll see. I think Drew Holiday's the, the X factor in this game. Can he, can he play elite defense? Can he have 30 points? Because some guy is going to have to play off Giannis. Giannis had 32 shots last game. He's going to need to be more efficient. I think he is. This is a game that will be decided by five points. I, 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 this is a toss-up. I'm going to say with you, I think Giannis is the best player in the NBA. So I think he's going to have that heroic game. Although, the way Jason Tatum played last yeah. game, you just don't know. You don't. We don't know. Like, honestly. So, that and, and with Memphis, I think it'll be close. I think they have a shot to win tonight since they don't want to lose. Yeah. In uh, in 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 Memphis, but Golden State's going to win this yeah. series. Okay, let's leave it there for now. When we come back, we'll be joined by the mayor, John Hoven, talking about the Los Angeles Kings. When we come back right here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California and the Fan in Las Vegas. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California and 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas. Just as a reminder, if you want to win tickets to Thursday night's Kings game, call our hotline 310-400-0340. Okay, now speaking of the Kings, we are joined by the man, the myth, the legend himself, the Mayor John Hoven. John, how are you? I'm doing outstanding. Kings are coming home up 3-2 in the series. Arash can't be better than that. All right, John, this is the time. I live in the South Bay where everyone hops on the Kings bandwagon. Not that there are not hardcore Kings fans, of course, John, but this is the time where, listen, if, if the Kings do what we want them to do, big playoff win, putting themselves in a position to advance for the first time since 2014, the bandwagon begins to grow. So, John, we, we do have to know, like, listen, if, if you're just hopping on the bandwagon right now, what do you got to know about this this team? What gives you this feeling that this team could potentially go on a run here? Well, look, I took the Kings to take this series in six games, so hopefully they'll they'll make <laughs> me look good by finishing things off at home on you know in, in game six. But I think if you're new to the bandwagon or if you're just coming on board, this is really a celebration for the LA Kings fans. We know that they have one of the most diehard fan bases in Southern California, but like all teams, when they're winning, that fan base grows. And this is a franchise that since uh, you know, 2018, when the team decided to turn the page and sort of go through a rebuild and a recreate and started started to restock the system, if you will, 
there have been some lean times and some lean years and some very frustrated fans, deservedly so, over the last couple of years as they saw some of their favorite players and Jake Muzzin and Alec Martinez and Jeff Carter, etc., traded away. And while the core players are still there uh, in Quick and Brown and Kopitar and Dowdy, who's not playing in the series, but, you know, he's still with the club, there have been new faces that have been worked into the system. And so this has really been a coming out party for Mikey Anderson, in my opinion. So when you when you ask, like, what do you need to know if you haven't been following closely, it's that some of the younger players are now starting to have an impact on this team. Adrian Kempe, who is still a young player but feels like a veteran because he's been around forever, it seems like, uh, he came over to Manchester uh, in the AHL. He won a Calder Cup his first year in North America. He went came up through the Kings system, played for the AHL Ontario Reign, and had a 35-goal season this year and really a breakout year for Kempe, and he's due for a big contract, probably five years, five to $6 million per coming up this summer. Uh, he scored two big goals in Game 5, including the overtime game winner. So Kempe is starting to make a name for himself. You also have guys like Rasmus Kapari who are getting playing time. You have guys like even Gabe Velarde who had some playing time in the series. And, of course, Arthur Kaliev, who's been a mainstay in the lineup all year. But, again, just to circle back for me, uh, it's, it's about Mikey Anderson. The defense is young and inexperienced and or rather thin. There's a drop-off after Drew Doughty, who's not in the lineup. And Mikey Anderson uh, has, has really taken a step up during this series. And he's, he's had all the answers for Connor McDavid up until now. So, John, did they win the first game? And it was a dramatic win. It was a fantastic win. Those next two games, I, I, I want to get your, your thoughts, because I think the majority of people who are tracking that series is like, okay, it, it, you, you can lose. That, that's one thing. 14-2 combined uh, score. John, what did you think after game three, and what did they do to change the series after that? Well, you know, you're a fight guy. I'm a fight guy. You know, we've been to UFC a lot and different big, big fights there in Vegas as well. And uh, I said the other day that sometimes, you know, hockey is a little bit like a fight in the sense that sometimes you have to get punched in the mouth a few times before you wake up and you realize that you're in a fight. And I think that's what happened to the LA Kings. In game one, they played to their style and their identity. And there was a lot of talk about this is LA Kings hockey. That's the way they won games all year long. And look, I think people came into this series sleeping on the LA Kings. Mm -hmm. This team put up 99 points this year. Let's just round that number off, okay? That's a 100-point season when Drew Doughty didn't even play half the games. So who are the LA Kings is what I think people should have been asking after a 99-point season. They're a team that you know, as it's a cliche, I know, but they play to their identity. They play LA Kings hockey, tight defensive hockey, good checking, uh, and they're not going to score a lot of goals. They're going to win tight games. That's what they did for the majority of the season. And in game one, they executed that game plan and played what I would call step one of being the playoff version of this LA Kings team, where they played tight defensively, um, they, they were all over Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid and didn't give them the time or space, and the Kings came out and won that game. Now, in Game 2, I don't know if it was the fact that maybe they thought it was going to be super easy and just a rinse and repeat, which it never is in the playoffs, and it certainly is not on the road either, or if Edmonton made the necessary adjustments. We certainly saw Edmonton ramp up the physicality, and maybe Edmonton was a little bit embarrassed coming off of Game 1, and they were like, oh, okay, now we're in a game. And so they changed their approach in Game 2. And the Kings, in turn, did not adjust quick enough. Now, I expected them to come out in Game 3 and put on a performance like they did in Game 4, which is they would have realized after Game 2 that they were in a fight, 
and that they were pushed around physically. I expected them coming home in game three to make those adjustments. Well, they didn't, and game three ended up being just like game two. But when you come to game four, now I think you really had a playoff series that was favoring the LA Kings because now they realized, okay, game one was great. We won game one. However, that was just a little bit of a step up from our normal identity. And when you're in the playoffs, you really need to ratchet it up. And in talking to some of the veterans, you know, they'll talk about the fact that you need all, all 20 guys pulling in the same direction and playing for each other. And that's what I think you saw in game four. That was a team win. That was not an individual win. And that just carried over into game five. So I think that's what sets things up perfectly for the Kings. They haven't been a good team at home, though. So you can't come in with too much confidence here in game six. But you certainly have to feel that there's a little bit of momentum that now is starting to build in favor of L.A. Hey, John, I do not want to look past the Edmonton Oilers. But if we were to look big picture in the Western Conference playoffs, who is the team to look for going forward if the Kings were to advance? Well, I, you know, I, again, like you, I would say uh, if I was a member of the L.A. Kings right now, I wouldn't want to be looking beyond game six, really for the reason that I just mentioned, and that is that this is not a team that is dominated at home like most good teams do. They've been a better team on the road, not just in the playoffs, but also throughout this entire season. So if I was them right now, I wouldn't be scoreboard watching. Uh, you know, the team that advances past this round is most likely going to face the winner of the Calgary Flames and, and Dallas Stars uh, uh, series, and that's been an interesting series to watch and has its own set of storylines. You know, old man Joe Pavelski just getting it done for the Dallas Stars. Much like the LA Kings, the Stars are a team that, that people really didn't expect to do much in the playoffs. But if you watch that team and look at some of the underlying numbers, they had more than a puncher's chance uh, to, to beat Calgary. Calgary's a team much like LA that doesn't score a lot of goals at times. And, and this has been a very, very low scoring um, affair. Now, Calgary in the standings, you know, obviously uh, was the runaway winner of the Pacific Division and was the class of the division most of the year, even though they played a pretty screwy schedule uh, where they had to make up a lot of games. And so they had some games in hand for, for the majority of uh, the, at least the middle, if not the second half of the season there. And they're coached by former King uh, coach, Kings coach Daryl Sutter as well. And they have Tyler Toffoli and Trevor Lewis and, you know, uh, Milan Lucic and a lot of names that some of those fans that uh, were mentioned earlier that jumped off the bandwagon in recent years <laughs> yeah. that they would remember. But uh, again, if you're an LA Kings fan, I would say look across the National Hockey League as a whole because these playoffs have just been fantastic. The Bruins series against the Carolina Hurricanes, fantastic. The Penguins taking on the Rangers, fantastic. Tampa Bay and Toronto, yep. fantastic. I mean, you can just go on down the line. Uh, there's nothing better than playoff hockey. Uh, it doesn't matter what your favorite sport is. There's absolutely nothing better than the tournament to win the most difficult trophy in all of sports, which is the Stanley Cup. And John, uh, it's Brandon Deutsch here. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the Lightning uh, defending champs, backs against the wall against the Maple Leafs. What do you see? I mean, this is all. There is a lot of good first round series, but this is is this a series that Tampa Bay could and will lose? Well, look, Tampa. Look, anytime you play as as many games as the Tampa Bay Lightning have played over the last couple of years, and not only games, but meaningful games, right? Because the more games yeah. you play, the more meaningful games you're playing. They've been in a lot of wars. This is a little bit of a different team, too. That third line that was so productive for them had, has basically been stolen away from them uh, here. So this is a little bit of a different team than the two-time defending cup champions had iced uh, here in the postseason the last few years. But at the same time, it still is the same team, right? They still have an all-world goaltender. They still have Victor Hedman, an all-world defenseman. They have Stamkos. They have, you know, Kucherov. They have what they need. So 
this team is still a loaded team. The question is, is this Toronto's time? Toronto is a team that comes in with all the pressure, which sounds bizarre because you're the Stanley Cup champions and so you have that pressure to, to defend your crown. But Toronto has all the pressure and they have been the better team for most of the series. So uh, can Tampa Bay come back to win this? Absolutely. I think if Tampa Bay was to, to, was to defeat the, the, the Maple Leafs, no one's going to go, wow, that was a shocker. I think most people would say right now it's a little bit of a shocker that, that Tampa hasn't been a little bit better in the series. But, uh, again, back to Toronto, though. They're a loaded team. They've tried to maneuver within the salary cap to to add to their team. They've made some trades. They've made some moves. They have questions in goal. Former L.A. Kings goaltender Jack Campbell still trying to get the job done. It's a very interesting uh, series, and like I said earlier, the storylines run very deep in that series. John, when was the moment that you thought this Kings team could go on a run? I'll give you two examples, and then you tell me. The Grammy trip I thought was fantastic. I actually went to three games in New York, so I saw them win uh, twice, lose in the shootout uh, to New York. But then the way they closed out the season, yes, they lost the last game of the year to Vancouver, but they won five straight before that. Those were the kind of the two moments I'm like, this team could do something. When was the moment for you, John, where you're like, this team could perhaps have a Stanley Cup run? Well, there's a reason you're the man, and that's because (laughs) those two, you know, those two are the key pivotal moments for different reasons. So for me, if I had to pick one, I would have picked that early East Coast trip because they were dominant. It's one of the best road trips in team history, and and they, I love the way that they played against the better teams, and that's been kind of the hallmark of the L.A. King, Kings for quite some time that they play up to the level of competition. And so you, you you have to ride the wave of this team that when they are playing better teams, they play up, but then you also get concerned because games they should win, they lose in a stinker. And so there would be one other pivotal moment of the season that I would say caused a pause for concern, and, and that was the game against the Seattle Kraken that they were blown out at yeah. home. I think it was 6 nothing. So you watch that Eastern road trip and you go, you know, this team, especially that Deneau line, this is a pretty good team and they can get it done against the better teams. They can adjust their game and they can win the close ones. And wow, Jonathan Quick seems to be locked in. But then you get to that Seattle game, you get down the stretch where they needed to win those games and the schedule favored them. And and you watch that game and you go, I don't know, man, maybe there's just, just enough inexperience on this team that they don't really rise to the occasion when they need to. And I made the statement on our podcast uh, over the last couple of weeks. I, there's no excuse for the Kings not to make the playoffs. They put themselves in a position with two weeks left to go in the season. There were about six games left. And I said, these games are winnable and they have to win these games. There's no excuse to not make the playoffs. They can't have that collapse like they did there at the end of Andy Murray's run. Uh, when everybody ended up getting fired. And sure enough, they were able to close those games out and they did what they needed to get done. And so uh, that would be the answer to my question. But you're right. Those were two pivotal points over the course of 82 regular season games. You know, John, the uh, seeds of the 2012 run were really planted in 2010 and 2011. Your thoughts on what they've done this year? Yes, we would love for them to win uh, Thursday night in advance. But I think just having this game six, and even if they have to play a pivotal game seven, 
this is sort of the seeds of what this team could do. Your thoughts on that? And, and just this was the first year, John, three years of rebuilding. We talked to Luke prior to the season. He said, okay, okay, this was tough. We didn't want to rebuild like this, but we did. This is the first year. And John, to your point, 100 points, fantastic season. Talk about this maybe planting the seeds for what this team could do. No, I think you're absolutely right. When you look for parallels and when you look for the past to sort of guide you to where the future is going, this is 2010. Mm -hmm. This is the L.A. Kings team in 2010 where you started to see, oh, okay, they're building something really special here. Oh, okay, I see what the kids can bring. I see the identity of this team that's starting to develop. And so this is 2010. And the Kings have really three needs. You could say four if you wanted to add power play to it, but the Kings have three needs they need to address in the offseason, regardless of how far they go in the playoffs right now. Um, they need to get another top six scoring winger. They need to add offense. It's great that, that uh, Kempe's been able to give them 35 goals. It's great that Phil Deneau has had a career year. But here's the thing. History also tells you there's probably going to be a little regression with both of those players. And so they're going to need more goals. And so they're going to need to add a top six goal scorer from somewhere. It's asking a lot of a young player like Kaliev to step into a top six role next year and all of a sudden produce 25 to 30 goals, even though that's probably where he's headed eventually. You just look at the trajectory of a guy like Kempe and that it takes several years for a player to really reach his full form and mature. And Kaliev is still very, very young. So they need that top six player. They also need a, a, a bigger, heavier, true shutdown defenseman, somebody on the left side. It's probably going to not come from Amada or an Edler who have been nice bridge players to get them there, but they're going to need something more defensively, and then they're going to need some size. And so if they go with more of an offensive-minded defenseman, which is also an option to get some, you know, some scoring from the blue line, then it gets you to the third thing, which is that they need some size, they need some muscle. They lost that with Curtis McDermott. Uh, Lemieux is more of an agitator, really, than he is an enforcer, to borrow a phrase from you know previous days. So they're going to need those sorts of three things. And then, obviously, the power play, as I mentioned, is going to have to improve, and that's going to come through coaching and schematics and changes and approach and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, this is 2010. I look for the Kings to make one major acquisition over the summer via trade or free agency. They'll go into next year. And then, again, if you want to draw more parallels around the trade deadline next year, you would expect them to make that bigger sort of Jeff Carter type move yep. that final piece where everything starts to settle in it doesn't mean that they win the Stanley Cup next year but it means that you're starting to put the final pieces in place and the cupboards are stocked the Kings can pretty much do whatever they want to do in terms of trading picks and prospects to get the players that they need John, I know it's not about the playoffs, but speaking about long-term outlooks, the Ducks, how, how, how do you see the Ducks going forward in the same respect as the Kings? Do you see the Ducks with an optimistic future? Uh, overly optimistic. I've said in as many interviews uh, as I possibly can that there has never been a better time to be a hockey fan in Southern California yeah. because the future is very, very bright. The Ducks and the Kings are on a collision course in the next couple of years. And you talk about the LA Kings and their deep prospect system. My Lord, the Anaheim Ducks, they are rich and they continue to get richer uh, with the players that they are bringing in. Fantastic drafting. Uh, drafting. Mason McTavish is going to be a stud. Trevor Zegers just nominated for uh, being one of the Calder finalists. They have a ton of young players. They'll probably end up moving a guy like Max Comtois or somebody of that nature out to get some more veteran players onto this team as they look to kind of fast forward their rebuild. I don't expect them, uh, you know, maybe next year to uh, 
you know, to go on a deep Stanley Cup playoff run, but I would expect the Ducks to be much better next year than they are this year. I like the fact that they solidified their coaching staff, bringing in a guy like Mike Stuthers really seemed to make a difference this year with the younger players. He, of course, helped guide the uh, the L.A. Kings organization to that Calder Cup uh, trophy that I mentioned in the AHL at the top of the interview there. So just a very deep farm system. Again, down in San Diego, the goals are a lot of fun. The rain are a lot of fun. Uh, here in Ontario, you had you had those two teams meeting up in the playoffs. There's no better rivalry in the American Hockey League than the goals versus the rain. It's just it's fantastic. So uh, wherever you are, sort of L.A., Orange County, the Inland Empire, or San Diego, there's no better time to be a hockey fan than right now. And uh, over the next couple of years, you're going to see the Kings and the Ducks battling for the Pacific Division title. And hopefully there's another playoff run between these two teams because I think we all remember back to 2014 in that fantastic seven-game oh, yeah. series. That, that pumped a lot of life into SoCal hockey. John, our last two minutes with you, and again, thanks so much for joining us. What can a Kings run? Like, well, let's just say they, they win game six and they, they at least play one more round. No Lakers, no Clippers, beginning of the Major League Baseball season, so you're not getting pumped up too much yet. What can a Kings run do for them right now with the fan base, I guess? Well, Ross, I'm finally going to disagree with you. I'm okay. pumped up. The, Do- the Dodgers, the Dodgers. Are <laughs> That's right. Go. That's uh, right. You know, it's, it, you know, there's nothing better than a good night uh, out at the ravine with a couple <laughs> of hot dogs and your buddies. But That's right. uh, look, y- y- you're right, though. You know, no Lakers, no Clippers. It's not the NFL football season. So you're competing uh, with, with fewer teams. You're, you're getting more pub in Southern California. Uh, and so fantastic for the LA Kings and you're not even competing with the Ducks in the playoff either and Kings fans are so hungry and so thirsty for some sort of success again because of the last couple of years so if they are able to close things out whether it's in game six or game seven if they're able to move on beyond the Edmonton Oilers you're going to see things ratcheted up to a fever pitch and it's going to be fantastic and if 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 they were able to play former Kings coach Daryl Sutter in the Calgary Flames oh just imagine all of the publicity here in Southern California. It would be uh, absolutely fantastic. But, hey, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Game no. six, Staples Center was packed. Excuse me, Crypto.com. <laughs> was, was, was packed uh, for game four. Let's see it packed again for game six. The, the, the players were all talking about the energy that uh, the fans brought to game four, and I can't even wait to get inside the arena for game six and feel that energy. It's playoff, boys. Yeah, you know, and I've talked about this before with John. I mean, I've covered Lakers playoff games, covered Clippers. There's nothing like a big Kings postseason game. It's certainly a situation where they could close out the series Thursday night. I'm going to be there. I love it. John, you were the first person I thought of once the game was over last night. You're the best. You're the mayor. Man, myth, legend. We'll have you back on to talk about the Dodgers, Kula Coop, UFC, and all that stuff. So, John, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. I love you, brother. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. So that's uh, John Hoven, the mayor. Um, yeah. Cannot wait for game six. The Kings in a position to win their first playoff series since 2014. It's going to be fantastic. That's all the time we have for today. Hopefully we see G.A. tomorrow. G.A., if you're listening, get well soon. All right. That's all the time we have for today. Let's do it again tomorrow. Until then, this is Arash Markazi saying stay safe and stay healthy. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.